1: charge. I'm Jeremy Duvall. And I'm rough enough. And I have not heard the dulcet tone in quite a while. Jeremy. The dulcet ha- tone. The dulcet tone. How are you doing, Mr. Jeremy Duval? I'm doing pretty good. Um, I've had this week off of work. Wow. Been, oh, that's amazing. Yeah.
2: You know, I've been working since lockdown and it's been, um, I know it's been stressful for a lot of people, but you know, I work in social service, so it's been pretty heavy duty um, so I decided to take this week off and just allow some some downtime, some hobby time. I went uh, camping in a place called Hendy Woods for a couple days, which is out kind of near the coast in Northern California. Did a couple days camping. Um, Hillary went for the whole week and I, with her mom, and I just went for a couple days. So I could have a couple days of camping and then a couple days at the house. By myself, you know, recharging with the PlayStation and modeling and stuff like that. So um, it's been a, a really nice week so far.
1: Yeah, I just actually got back from vacation uh, a week and a half ago. So we, my daughter and myself went up north, picked up my nephew, and we went uh, to a splash park. And we kind of, you know, kind of did that all, obviously, all socially distant uh, with face masks and all that stuff. But uh, basically, I had a really great time. On vacation, uh, I got a promotion which is a good thing, right? I, Congratulations. I, I, thank you. Yeah, everybody likes promotions, but then as I re- got back, I realized the um, the error of my ways, which is I'm going to do all the stuff that I was already doing, and I'm now going to manage a bunch of other people too. It's been hectic. Uh, it has significantly cut into my time. You know, I'm doing 10, 12-hour days, and I'm working all, because I am working from home right now. I'm working all kinds of crazy hours, so like, I could be responding to emails at 9 o'clock at night, or I could be up at 5 and... Uh, because we're an international company. Sometimes I'm working on projects in the UK or, uh, there's some folks in Australia. And so, uh, it's, it's been a, it's been a, a, a drastic reduction in my hobby time. So I've been looking forward, you know, when we said, we're, let's get together and have a, another Rob and Jeremy show. Uh, I have been looking forward to this idea because people probably wondering where the hell have we been? Well, we're still here. We just, uh, <laughs> you went camping and I went on vacation. Yeah. You know, it's hard, uh
2: you have to work, you have to do family time, you know, sometimes the weeks go by and you just like lose track of time. So like you, I'm excited to get on here and hear what you're up to. And, uh, and it's funny thing about like that promotion. I had recently gone up for a promotion and didn't get it. And it was one of those things where I was bummed for about five minutes. And then I was like, like, whew, you know, be careful what you wish for. Like, like maybe I don't, maybe I'm good where I'm at right now. You know,
1: now I'm getting these emails from the people that are my peers or were my peers that are that now reports to me. And they're like, like all of a sudden they can't do their job, right? <laughs> they're like, well, I'd like your guidance. I'm like, well, what were you doing before last week? <laughs> Let's do that. Uh, it is what it is. But we wanted to chat about kind of an update on where we were, what's been going on, events, hobby uh, we even have a listener topic that we want to talk a little bit about. but uh, let's start in with uh, interesting news. Um, I'm sure everybody knows at this point uh, Siege World had to be canceled. Uh, it, you know it pains me to say that, but at the end of the day, it just fell apart, right? You know you're trying to those last minute coordination with because it was a government building and just trying to get everything coordinated uh, just became a, a, a you know a, a hill too high to climb samurai showdown just happened right
2: yeah so uh that episode will either already be out when you hear this or will be um just coming out but yeah we had um dustin aaron and tom on the show to talk about all things samurai showdown so make sure if you um haven't had a chance to listen to that you uh, uh, take a look at it, and I think you know they they were of the mind, Rob better be better to be safe than sorry. So they really dotted their eyes, crossed their T's, and really like had that that you know as ship shape as possible. So I know Siege Worlds is a bummer, but maybe it's better to be safe than it's sorry. You know, exactly. And, uh, so and then it's 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 just let's continue to learn these lessons. I know Samurai Showdown. They they figured out a lot of what they want to do next year, and also kind of seeing what. Um, how an event could run via COVID. And I know in in looking at the other miniature systems, I know they recently had um, some 40K tournaments in Australia and they were similar, you know, social distance, temperatures at the gate, mask required. So those seem to be the sort of like uh, pillars of running an event in COVID is sort of the trifecta of mask, distance and temperatures. And one thing we brought up uh, in the dojo show was you know a lot of people go to grocery stores where they don't mask you they are you your mask right but they're not temperature taking not always social distancing so i feel like in this new environment as long as you're not jamming hundreds of people if we can stick to having nice distance between tables masks and temperature taking that's about as, as safe as we can get at this point i think and then also too we have on the docket coming up a lot of, of virtual tournaments right uh rob we have um Visibly, Riley is getting ready to run the Emerald Dragon GT, which is coming up. Um, that's Seattle's normally uh, big tournament, and that is going to be held um, August 21st through the 23rd, and that's going to be a virtual tournament, so feel free to check that out. And then also, my man, the myth, the legend, the now Tom cruise legend, but it's- by the time you hear that if, if you're not in on the kings of war chat channel today kyle pretzel twinkie uh was deep faking people's faces in the community on the all sorts of stuff so you had todd, todd serpico is trump was one of my favorites steve hildrew was uh rick ashley and the, but my favorite was uh uh uh, a collection of clips from Tom Cruise movies to the mission impossible soundtrack with Rashad deep faked onto Tom Cruise. And I was just like, Oh man, it just, I lost my, lost my stuff.
1: But very well done. Very, very well done. And
2: I imagine that the, the riddle of steel will have a bunch of cool stuff. Um, this is an event that is usually held at uh, Scott Holcomb's house in Laguna and SoCal. And it's, uh, you know, as you can tell from riddle of steel, it's a Conan themed event, Usually has really super cool, uh, fun Conan themed scenarios. Also, you can pick. Uh, usually, we'll do. You know how events do the special character, like Dojo had a special samurai you could take, or a wrestler character for TNT. Well, for the Riddle of Steel, there'll be like you can take Conan, you can take uh, Valeria. You know, it's like a really cool, fun uh, thematic event. So that that's on Facebook. So make sure to check that out or reach out to Rashad if you have any questions on that. And I think that we're, you know, it's still our goal to try to get him on and do a check-in anyway. We should do a check-in with those SoCal guys because they've just started doing masked games at Scott's house again. So uh, that's sort of the trend that I've been seeing, Rob, is people are starting to like do some patio hammer. Maybe some gaming, but with masks, you know, some of the harder-hit areas. So it's good to see people starting to play again, but starting to play again in a safe,
1: responsible way. Absolutely. And, you know, I wanted to, to kind of talk a little bit about clubs because cause we, we have a new addition to our club. And you're in the, what, is that Teen Titans? What's that club you guys are in? Uh, tabletop Titans. Oh, Tabletop Titans. Right, 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 right. We have a new addition to the Blue Seated Brawlers. I don't know how uh, it occurred, Uh, I don't know what transpired behind the scenes, but Kyle Poole is in the process of moving from Ohio to Memphis. So we are, we are incredulous in that we have, you know, our our good fortune is unbelievable. They were going to add such a worthy opponent, Uh, you know, iron sharpens iron, right? So this is going to be great. Uh, And, you know, he came down and, you know, one of our, one of our younger players that had a little bravado said, uh, answered him by saying, well, bring whatever list you want. And Kyle proceeded to put him in the dirt. And I thought, okay, this is this is the this is the little tweak that we needed to our scene, right? This guy with this crazy ass army and these crazy meta tactics that throws all this trash at you, yeah. This this is what we need to shake up the scene a little bit. So uh, we're really excited to have Kyle uh, join oh, us. He's down a good here pickup for you guys for sure. Huge, huge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're super excited about that. How are things going in your local area?
2: So um, it's still been kind of low key. We're just starting to think about doing some games in person. I think at some point I'm going to be heading down to Britain's to maybe do some Kings of War uh, outdoors. He has a nice little patio area that we've played outside in the past. Um, Some of Heretic Games, which is one of the main stores, they're not quite doing in-store gaming yet. You know, they're doing... um, you can go in and shop. But I think some of the stores in California, game stores, they're open to the public now, but they're still quite not quite there as far as um, uh, gaming, um, uh, putting in-person gaming. Um, so the Kings of War scene is still a, a little bit on the, the lowdown. Um, I'm going to probably be getting some games in with uh, Tony Rogers, who's one of our local players who's done some traveling He wants to try to get some games in. But I have been playing. You know, Rob, I sort of have have two gaming groups. I have like my Kings of War group in the Bay Area, and then I have a gaming group that I play with. Uh, We've had him on the show before, Jesse Burke, who had the beautiful – yeah, and he had the beautiful Trident Realms Army with the giant flying whale. Um, Those guys in Sacramento, they're more of a 40K Focused game uh, uh, club, and they play Kings of War on the side. Whereas, like, I'm more Kings of War focused and play 40K on the side. But I did go over to Jesse's house this last weekend, and in his garage, we had uh, our first 40K Ninth Edition game. That um, was a lot of fun, and uh, it was really interesting. In that, uh, so far, the biggest takeaway for me, having played that, is the missions are now like really objective based. And felt to me like way more like a Kings of War mission, whereas 40K in the past has always been you just try to blow your opponent off the table before he blows you off the table um, with like some side things to do. But the new mission system is pretty interesting. So um, that was fun. And you know how I know you were getting into um, uh, Star Wars uh, Legion, right? Uh, And it's just nice every now and then, right, Rob, to to play a, a game that's completely different from Kings of War. That's just like a scratch is a different itch. We've all I've always been a proponent of. You can love all sorts of miniature games, and you don't have to be only like a servant of one game system. That you can just love the hobby in a holistic way. Um, so it was nice to kind of get a little uh, a little sci-fi action going on.
1: We still are dabbling in some Star Wars Legion, but the game that has pretty much invaded uh, my life uh, over the last I don't know three or four months to the point where I'm getting like. Uh, three or four games a week i got three games in on last saturday three games in one saturday uh is vanguard when i first saw vanguard i wasn't a huge proponent i kind of just wanted a fantasy version of dead zone you were kind of you were kind of on the fence
2: right in the beginning about vanguard right rob you,
1: you said it best vanguard is not an introductory game to kings of war it is an introduction to the kings of war universe mechanically the games are so far different that there's not a lot of overlap, other than things like crushing strength. There there are a few special rules, but you know what? What it's done is it's re-energized our community in that. Obviously, COVID keeps people away is is you know part of it, but just so does like the the uh, the burden of having to put 150 models or 200 models on the table. Uh, a King's War game. This is the exact opposite. You know, you may have a dozen models. Uh, it's pulled. Folks that really have never really expressed any interest in Kings of War. A lot of the Infinity guys have been playing with us, and I, 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 I gather to say we sold forty starter boxes. Wow! Uh, in the last few that's, months, yeah, it's it's that's crazy. it's stupid. Yeah, it's it's stupid. I say actively, there's probably six to ten folks, but then there's probably like another twice as many that are just that bought the box and are playing in their homes. It's exploded, really, really exploded to the point where even the store owner Mike is playing. I'm going to give him a little grief because the one thing that is interesting about Vanguard is it's got a little bit of a blood bowl feel to me in that. I don't think each faction, I don't think there's, there's great balance, right? I I do think there's some factions that are better than others. Uh, And blood bowl kind of has that, that, that system where there's weak factions or, you know, or weak teams and better teams. And you kind of use that as a handicapping system. Mike is not a good player. And so he is leaning on the cavalry crutch, uh, using the League of Rhodia, so he's rocking like three mounted dudes, and he's blowing away the you know these newbies that aren't that don't have any cavalry. We're looking for some more heroes to come and destroy Mike's uh, force, uh, but it's been amazing, you know. And I'm getting a lot of grief because I originally started with dwarves. Uh, we have another player that started playing dwarves, so I switched to Trident Realms, about as different as dwarves as you could possibly imagine. Lots of armor, right? Slow, and Trident Realms are super fast. But hardly any armor. Uh, may, maybe a little regen. So it's been it's been a it's been weird going to going to Trident Realms. Um, but it's been nice from one sense that it's not an army I'm probably going to play in Kings of War. So I'm able to buy some of these models and that I that I that I like the models. I just don't think I'm going to make a whole Kings of War army for you know. I'm going to the store and I know I'm going to demo the game or I know there's going to be some people there. I literally have to take like a little tub, <laughs> like my whole army, all my books, all my tokens. Even a tables with a terrain, it's like a small little thing. Whereas when I'm going to play Kings of War, it's like, oh, here's my army case, here's my table, six point five four worth of terrain. Uh, the burden of me having to get to the store on a Wednesday night is a lot less. So that's been been a lot, a lot of uh, a lot of fun. I did play my first game of Kings of War though in a long time. We played Wednesday. Uh, me, Kyle, our local player Matt, and a new person, uh, Mary. Uh, we played a two on two game, ogres versus. Dino King and Kingdoms of Men. So that was fun. I scratched that itch again because I hadn't played it in a while. Um, I don't really do the UB thing, so it was nice to actually uh, get a game of Kings of War in. But, uh
2: you know, this coming weekend, probably same weekend. This episode drop. We drops. Uh, there's the Dash Twenty Eight Team Challenge. I mean, did you see that, Rob? Oh yeah, that's amazing. Is it is it is it Teen Titans against Cobra Kai? The tabletop Titans. Some of us are facing off. So Northern Kings versus uh, myself, Pat Allen. Um, Mark Taylor and uh, Daniel King are facing off against Jonathan Quayle, Tom Robinson, Elliot, and um, Adam Padley. So that should be interesting. Uh, they did like a drafting episode where uh, one team picked the matchup player matchup and then the other team would pick the scenario. So I'm going to be playing Elliot. Uh, uh, Twilight Kin army, and I'm going to be playing my Basilanes. I sort of just decided, Rob, I'm just playing my Basilanes now. You know, the, have the audience pick my army for Call of Arms was really fun, and I'm happy to have done that. But I feel like I've yet to go into a Masters or a big tournament having the, like, the, the Kyle Pool, as we're talking about, or the Eric Trowbridge, like I have played the army 50 times. You know what I mean? So, I'm just going to, I'm picking my Vasilian's, the one that I'm going to have for next Masters next year and the events, you know, once they start opening. So, that's what I'm going to be playing in the club matchup. And then I'm just on UB, anytime I have a game, I'm just playing that. Maybe switch some items around, but it's the it's the same drops every time. And I'm just going to pound that out, really get comfortable and familiar with that. But should be pretty, yeah, it should be a pretty fun weekend. Um, there's going to be four games. Uh, broadcast over the Saturday and Sunday, um, all all up on Dash 28. So um, it should be interesting. You know, the big thing was was if we got first pick a matchup, Pat was going to call out Tom Robinson because, you know, they're one and one against each other. And it would be like the, uh, the end all, you know, the rumble in the jungle to end the piece. There are probably two of the, you know, if I was going to say who are the best players in the world, my top five, the Tom Robinson and Pat Allen are probably in that top five. So, but they won the, 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 the dice roll, and then Tom chose to uh, put himself in the first match against Dan King, since uh, Dan is going against his own countrymen. Um, so basically, like the Tabletop Titans, right, are located mostly in Texas. But it's not a a directly regional club like uh, myself, Rashad, Dan King, like people who sort of – we get along with each other. or If you fit sort of the philosophy of of Tabletop Titans, they'll ask you to join, and you don't necessarily have to be physically from Texas. But I was conceived in Texas, so that's what my mom always tells me when I'm like don't want to be like – when I'm like, oh, those Texas people piss me off or whatever. She's like, well, that's where you were from. Uh, Yeah, so – but that should be pretty fun. I know that's going to be this weekend,
1: so uh, uh, make sure to check that out. Hobby update. What have you been painting? I've seen some pictures on a manticore. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of stuff. So um, I'll do
2: like a fantasy and then a sci-fi, cause sort of what I've been up to. So fantasy-wise, uh, I'm on the home stretch for the – don't call it a chimera manticore. Um, it's going to be my my paladin on a dragon. Um been spending just like oodles and oodles of time. I really want this to be like a showpiece. so I painted most of the lion I'm, the wings have been done almost I've done the scales I've thanks to a lot of help I gotta give a shout out to Austin Kerrigan. he's been like my my Miyagi to my Daniel in painting as far as like uh, oftentimes Rob I feel like my technique is improving but sometimes I just don't know what color to use. And Austin is just like, I'll ask him, I was like, what color should this be? And then he'll be like, oh, start with a little brown, work in some ivory, add a little bit of reds. And it's just like he thinks about colors on such like a, another level. Um, but he's been a great help. Uh, John Vanoss, too, I pick his brain all the time. And then G- Terapika and I uh, have been sharing a lot of stuff back and forth. So it's been a real, uh, as far as trying to increase my hobby, talking with painters who are either in similar locations on their painting journey as myself or someone who's a few steps beyond me of just like trying to kind of touch base with them and and, and be a sponge and and uh, be privileged to learn from all these great painters. Um so fantasy wise, you know I mentioned before in my bestseller army the two main components that I need to get finished are my dragon which I'm on the home stretch and then I got to do a, a horde of infantry which are my spear ladies. Um, which I have the test model almost done, but I have the the scheme pretty much picked out. Um, So those are the two main uh, fantasy projects. And then my next Kings of War project, I sort of have two ideas. I have an idea for Twilight Kin army, or I may uh, go contrast, and uh, I have pretty much decided that my all-mantic army is going to be, or 95% mantic is going to be Abyssal's. So I've sort of been looking on the on the lookout for eBay and other places and I've been just slowly stockpiling my Abyssal army in my garage. So I've got some lower abyssals, I've got all the Vanguard stuff, I've got I've got like a fair amount of abyssal stuff just ready to be cracked open and worked on. So um I feel like that project is looking pretty good. Um on the sci fi end, I had some Last time I was doing 40K, I had Imperial Knights because my thinking was, hey, it's only three models. (laughs) So I just have three models in my army, and I'll be good to go. But I was wanting to do something different, and one of my buddies really wanted uh, the knights, and he had a pretty much complete uh, wraith-heavy Eldar army, like all in sprues or new in box or almost put together – so we just traded. I traded him my knights and then he traded me all his Eldar stuff. Um so I I I'm curious to hear what you think about uh, the base because you know one of our listener topics is going to be a base. So uh about bases. So what I decided to do is I had an extra cyborg elf basing kit, you know me and my cyborg basing uh kits, Rob. I just love cyborgs basing elements. So I had the elf one. So what I did is all my um Eldar are walking through this it's ruined elf ruins but they really look like they could be old Eldar ruins, you know? So the idea is that like my Eldar have landed on this world that used to be like an Eldar uh, Eldar Exodite world or wherever before the Slanesh came in and they're looking for ancient Eldar relics. So I'm going to do like snow bases, so it's going to be like an elven ruined temple. But it's gonna I think it should play as like an ancient Eldar city. Um, so and I'm gonna be using um, uh, the I think it's Valhallen Blizzard or it's the technical paint. I know there's tons of ways to do snow right Rob. but like the GW technical paint is just pretty easy and I've tried it on a couple test things and it looks good. So that's sort of gonna be the theme for that army is like an ancient ruined city. Yeah. So I've been messing, I've been messing with that. I think I'm finally going to do on some of the, the Eldar ghost blades. I'm going to try to do some non-metallic metal. So this is going to be my first kind of Fourier into that. Um, so that's sort of the fantasy element, uh, working on the dragon, working on the Spearman whore, sci-fi element, you know, dangling my toes and the, uh, the Eldar. And then hobby wise, I picked up some new hobby materials. Um, uh, first off I've been, uh, I'd had the Scale 75 fantasy game, like the fantasy in games. So sort of like the, you know, Scale 75 has their regular paints, and then they have their more fantasy line, a la Vallejo game color, you know, and regular Vallejo. But I've started to work in more of just the ba- the regular scale line, and oh boy, do I love these paints.
1: What's di- what's di- is it just the colors that are different or
2: No, the colors are different. I I honestly think the medium is different whereas the regular ones are even more matte. They're just hyper hyper matte and they're just a little bit smoother and they I feel like they're just a little mm-hmm. the coverage is just a little bit better, a little bit more opaque coverage. Um so I've been experimenting with those, and I just absolutely love them. And I've decided to do, and I'm curious on, on what your thoughts are. Uh, I'm kind of had it with my Windsor Newton Series Sevens of just the quality.
1: I have not had a good run lately. It's
2: and I was at the local art store because so I was trying I was trying to find the Kolinsky Sable, you know, uh, uh, stand in for Series Seven, right? And I guess the lady at the, the who owns my local art store says there was for a time that Windsor had outsourced their production to China and that some of the – they weren't being made in England anymore or wherever. I don't know. This is just what she told me. Who knows if it's – I didn't research it anymore. But But she stopped carrying Windsor Newton Series 7s in her store just for that – And it wasn't a miniature, it's an art store, so these are like watercolor brushes, right? Um, right, Another thing you can use for miniature brushes is they're sold as watercolor brushes, basically. Um, So she recommended – I went in there really wanting to get Rob what Visibly Riley recommended, which is the Raphael 8404 series brush which I've heard from a lot of painters who used to use the Windsor series sevens that the Raphael 8404. Well, they're certainly, you know, and I've got some experience way, with 8404. They, 8404s, like and they do work to the Windsor. Uh,
1: I, I like them. I, I actually still like the Windsor Newton uh, when you the old Windsor Newton's a little bit better. Um, just, well, here's the thing. They both work. And as long as you put in a little time, you'll make the adjustment. But for me, uh, the 80404, it just felt like it had maybe more belly and it carried a little more paint, which on some stand, on some token, you know, it may be a better thing if you have more paint on your brush because you can have more coverage. Uh, it, but it was just, a, you know, it was different than the Windsor Newton. And so uh, it took me a while and I, and I used them exclusively for two or three months and I like them. Uh, the ones I have wore out. So I'm at a point where um, I probably need to get some more. I, I, I've tried to you know, obviously Raphael eighty the Windsor Newton Series Sevens. I also tried um there's a cheaper brand of Kolinsky. It's called Princeton. Um they make they make all kinds of brushes, but they also do make some Kolinsky sables and they were terrible. <laughs> I got them through Dick Blick and they were like ten bucks a brush. So they weren't like super expensive for Kolinsky sable, but they were they were terrible. Um but I, I'm kind of in your boat where I'm looking for something new and maybe just go maybe go buy me some new eighty four fours, but um Yeah, so when I was in there and we were talking, I was having this conversation, and very similar of like, I, you
2: know, I was like, I I paint miniatures, and I used to use the Series 7s, and I'm just. And some Series 7s, Rob, I've had are just amazing, and I love them. And then one, you get brand new, and in a month or three weeks, they're just flayed. And, like, I, I make sure no paint gets in my ferrule. I use Master's Brush Soap. I mean, I treat my brushes really well. So if I'm spending $14, 15 $16 for a brush, if not more, depending on how – if you can get it on sale, I really want it to be of a certain quality. So – she recommended that I try and Rashad really loves this brand. You know, Rashad uh does fine art. So he's from that's his background with the art school, and he uses this brand. It's uh called Escoda Reserva uh Kalinsky, and it's from Barcelona, so it's from Spain. So I got a one, a zero, a double zero, and a triple lot. Just to try
1: those are the main brushes that I use. A triple lot. what in the world are you painting with a triple lot? Uh, that's
2: what I use for like my very very like uh, super super edge highlights or like really eyeballs or like really small stuff. I know I know I, I probably am really bad in brushes and that I probably should use bigger brushes than what I do and that's maybe that's a reason why I'm, it takes so long for me to paint anything. Is I always use? They say you should always use the biggest brush possible for whatever you're trying to do, and I've just never quite mastered it. What's weird with this with these brushes though, Rob? Um, okay, you know how Series sevens like the smaller or the 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 as you go from like a zero to a double zero, the tip is smaller and the brush is smaller, but there isn't a great variance in the length of the bristle. The, the bristles are relatively the same length. It's just they go smaller and smaller unless and the belly gets smaller the tip gets more refined. These Escoda brushes, like the Zero and the Triple Zero, are somewhat... Similar in length, but the double zero—it's like twice as long. For some reason, I, w- I wonder
1: if it's more um, like like a lining brush, where you know people want to do pinstriping or I, And
2: joking. it could be—I don't know. I just sort of kind of picked these up on a whim because I, I went to the store hope, trying to get the eighty-four zero fours, and they just didn't have
1: them. Well, you can get the eighty-four zero fours through Dick Blick if your local store doesn't carry it. I've I've actually picked up some Rosemary and Company brushes that I am uh, uh, planning to run through its paces.
2: That could be a good uh, shout out to people if. You you guys listening if you have like a kalinsky sable brush that you really love that's not windsor newton or that's maybe working for you definitely like throw a post in the facebook page because i like i know for sure the escotas they're triple zero i'm keeping forever as an eyeball brush this is probably the best super super hyper detail brush i've ever used so the other ones that i got from this line I'm not really, I could take it or leave it. So, at least in trying this line, I found one of the brushes that they have is really nice. So, I'm definitely going to keep this one. But, um, I just don't want to have to buy a new set of Windsors every four or five months, man. It's just too, too expensive.
1: That's also, like that's a lot of hobby that you've got on your plate. Well,
2: I've been playing some video games. Hey,
1: okay, Jake, tell um, me about them.
2: Well, I got the Final Fantasy VII Remake for PlayStation 4. So, I've been playing that, which is pretty interesting. Um, I was doing some stuff on my computer, uh, some Call of Duty, uh, but that has sort of like uh, died out some. You know, we're still doing a little bit of board games at the house, but now that Hillary's back to work, she's working for the the Napa Court is open now. So she's working. She's not as bored. So uh, we haven't been quite uh, playing as many board games, but – but That's I have awesome. been painting every night. I mean I've been been painting a lot, like, you know, two or three hours every day. So I I have getting a lot of hobby like stuff around the hobby done. I'm getting ready to do a big garage reorganizing. Um or not so much a reorganizing. We moved in in here in right. February and we just never I just never fully did it the first time, you know, so I still got boxes in, but um yeah, so lots the hobby, like I'm looking at my dinner table now, and it's the, definitely the dinner table of your partner's been out of town for a week. So I got magnets and glue and files and boxes and Kings of War models and
1: 40K stuff. I just got it all, all over the place here. Well, let's take a quick commercial break, and back on the other side, we will jump into our main topic. I'm
2: Patrick Zorro Allen, the Kings of War has-been and newest RC member. And you're listening to Countercharge. And we are back. So our topic today is going to be, uh, you know, we, we, we've touched on it before a little bit on multi-basing um, and like a, on a little bit bigger picture. But now we're going to talk about kind of what Rob and I like to do when we're telling a story uh, on just one base. You know, so how do I tell a, a bigger theme, thematic story for ar- my army? And then how do I take that theme from the aggregate, from the overarching feel of an army, and then how do I really make that manifest on my individual y- unit bases? Um, and I think one thing that's really interesting, Rob, is often when, you th- when you're when you thinking of what would look cool on a display board, like little bits and pieces, each, each of our units can be its own display board. So let's get that stuff
1: on the bases mm-hmm. itself. That's a great tip. You know, if people are looking for – uh, multi-basing ideas go search for tutorials on display boards because a lot of this I mean it, essentially what you said is correct you, you have a miniature display board <laughs> that's what you're building right you're building a base but it literally is a, a miniature display board for one unit um, and so the the same things you that we're going to talk about really apply to display boards as well let's start with the top you know what is your first step when you're you know when you're when you're when you're thinking about hey I'm going to build this new unit what's the first What's, what's your first step?
2: Yeah. So I definitely go to the more that I play Kings and the further along I get in that hobby, I start an army 50% what models that I want to use, but maybe 51%, 49%, like 51% is what is the story I want to tell with my basing. If anything, it's like the basing comes first because really that's probably the coolest thing about Kings of War is, uh, what you can do in multi basing, so I try to think about what is the trope, so if I'm doing dwarves, what's the trope of dwarves, mine you know like like uh world like iron Forge, world of Warcraft, all that, and then in looking at what what the basic trope is, is there something in that that's sort of like a swerve, you know, like where have I never seen dwarves, or like what is a a unique take on? This army are, you know, like where, where have you never seen elves before? And it's not like I'm, I'm giving up all of what makes an elf an elf. But like how can I look at this army in a unique way and kind of like come at it maybe through the looking glass? So I try to think about – in my head I imagine where – like on an adventure, what would be re- – like where would you least expect to run into a faction and, and why would it be cool? So I think some of that's sort of where I start. I try to start, I try to kind of think about common concepts that you see and pick from them elements that I like, but really try to find that individuality and that uniqueness. So that's sort of where I'm first coming from is, um, trying to develop an image in my head of, of, of colors. Is my army going to be cool or warm colors? Okay. Because that's going to affect your bases. Uh, What's the traditional basing style for this army? Do I just want to go traditional? Sometimes you can go traditional, and if you do it well, it will look great. Or do I want to kind of take it take it someplace else, someplace new? Like for example, my Basileans, my original theme was I wanted to do I, I saw Armorcast had some ruined cathedrals with these really awesome vellum stained glass sheets. And before I had any of my other theme, I was like, that. that I want to have that on my base. That's going to be part of my base. So it's almost like just like that one piece of, you know, train bits or that one little element that, that sparks that initial uh, passion. Because if you're passionate about something, the creative juices percolate and flow and you really can like work at your best. So I'm always looking for that original like little kernel uh, of passion Uh, and a little something a little unique and then i just slowly start to build the components like build those layers build build on top of that uh, uh of that like original original idea of looking at different materials and and different techniques and uh you know often nature is organized chaos so sometimes if something looks too regimented it won't look correct because our eyes, when we look at nature, nature is variety and difference and change. So, uh, there is a little Bob Ross action happening here. Right. You know, uh, but that's sort of like the core when I'm first thinking about it. Does it, does that resonate with you, Rob? Do you sort of have,
1: have other things in your mind? I'm hundred percent with you. There's two things that, that I'm working with. The one is, um, the models, right? Uh, what models, what unit am I building? And what models am I going to use? um, And, you know, you said 49, 51. Mine flips back and forth. It just depends on the unit. Sometimes the models come first. The concept comes first. That image in my head. I'm thinking the the example I'm going to use tonight is the... uh, I I have a unit of winged Hussars. uh, They're using the Westphalia winged Hussar halflings, basically. They're mounted on goats. The the difficulties with the models is that they're a little bit on the small side. They literally are halflings on goats. They are not full-size cavalry. But I want to use them on a base that's you know uh you know it's a cavalry regiment right so you know eight to ten of these guys on a base it's gonna look a little uh not crowded right then i I thought about as i as i came into this one unit was how are the models going to be displayed on the base do i have this base connecting to other bases is there a a mutual story and and where i kind of came down with this one is eight I just wanted to use these models because they're amazing, but I really wanted to make, capture that feel of the Rohirrim where they're cresting a hill and they're looking down proudly over this cavern and they're right up to the edge and they're battle ready and they're ready to make the charge. It, it does a few things. One, it's a cool, just a cool dynamic pose, right? Where you got these guys uh, regally posed up, you know, majestically posed up on this hill. But also, I, I brought them all up to the edge. So what I was able to do is <clears throat> the back of the base is a very sharp hill with really nothing but vegetation on it, but no one cares because that's the back of the base and that's not where the action is. All the action is right there at the edge. Uh, and so the, that's the story, right? So, the you know, um, it gets into, you know, how am I going to put the guys on the base? You know, I've got, I converted one of the guys to be a leader and he's he's got a different weapon and he's pointing. Like, hey, we're going to charge there. And then you've got a standard bearer that might be swinging. You know, you can start to think about, you know, in your head, what the base is going to look like ha- and how that's going to interact with the models. And, and it'll form, right? It'll form. Um, and, and so, like you, I think I think that's very similar to where you come come at it from.
2: Yeah, it's like you think about it very hard and then you think about it not at all. And it's like intense focus followed by complete abstraction helps, like, visions coalesce. I'm like getting all like uh uh philosophical.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> uh uh
2: but it's like a, it's like you focus very intently and then you just let it go. And when I'm looking at a base is like all those you don't necessarily have to have one piece first. It can kind of like organically happen where I'm thinking about okay, what train mm-hmm. bits do I want to use? What um what's happening uh and then I think a lot in in angles. Um, if everything's pointed the same way or you don't have interesting angles or everything's uh, 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 asymmetrical or – like let's say you have a bit, bit of terrain pieces and let's say you have two regiments and you have terrain bits that are on the both right sides of both regiments. If you deploy them, they're going to look exactly the same, whereas I like to do a lot of uh, symmetrical – uh, basing bits and what did I mean by that is if is Let's say I have two knight regiments All and the both knight regiments Are charging like through Ruined terrain On my left knight regiment that I Will normally deplo- deploy I can't deploy anywhere but if it's left of the other Knight regiment my terrain pieces Will be predominantly on the left side Of the unit base whereas the other One it's predominantly right. on the right side So I'm thinking about not only In the individual base but I'm thinking about how is this going to be deployed on my battle line, and is there any interesting angles or uh, uh, formations that I can make on the bases that then – you know, a lot of people build their display board for their units mm-hmm. to fit into the display board. But I like to think about how is my army going to look actually deployed on the battlefield, and does the terrain on my bases
1: – does it all look cohesive – with the other units in the army, you bring up a couple of other things that got me thinking. You know, uh, height is important to you, so be thinking about like height can really add some uh, a dynamic element to your base, right? um Traditionally, when you put a character higher than the rest of the army, it's going to make them stand out. Same thing with units, right? Like, and that's kind of what I did with with these halfling hussars. I mean. They're 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 raised up above most of the foot soldiers. Uh, and so they have this majestic regal presence that uh, they they stand out. Side note, uh, sometimes I actually have the bases completely done without models. Like sometimes I literally have a concept for a base and I make the base without without ever having anything. That's that's unusual. Yeah. But it, it has happened, so you know. There's, I guess, it's my short way of way of saying there's no right or wrong way to do this. But once I have that image in my head of what this unit's going to look like, um, I'm going to go to a piece of paper and I'm going to do thumbnail sketches. Uh, typically, like a you know an isometric view, just a real quick sketch of roughly what the features would look like. You know, stick figures for the guys, uh, the the riders and stuff, just to get a feel for. Ooh, that looks that looks imposing. Ooh, that looks Mm, that looks kind of derpy and just sketch out stuff until I get to a point where, you know, I, I have something that I, that I really, I I like, it's one of those things where it's like pornography. You, you'll know it when you see it. It's same thing with, with a base, right? Yeah. Like I, I can tell you what a bad base looks like. Um, but a, a good base, I can't really describe it, but I know it when I see it. <laughs> and it usually in those thumbnails, I'm gonna be like, Ooh, That's 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 it. That's it right there. That's it. And then from there, I'll typically go and actually make a bigger sketch of, hey, this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking a hill here. Maybe I'll have a dead tree. Uh, I don't know what like once you have the concept, what's what's the next thing for you?
2: Yeah, what I like to do is I'll get all my components together. Right. And I'm trying to create uh, uh, I want to have variation But it's like organized chaos, right? So I'll know, for example, each of my regiment bases – let's say I'm doing a regiment. My regiment bases have to have these components. They have to have either some of my basing bits or walls or ruin or any sort of – I put it in like the building category. It's got to have something from that, whatever I'm doing for that army. And then I'll look at my rocks and gravel. And what I do for my rocks and gravel is I have some woodland scenics, like three or four different sizes of gravel, and I dump it into my own container and shake it up because rocks are always different sizes. So I make I make my sort of my own mixture of rock. So then that way it has different different shapes and sizes and it just makes them more interesting. Um, and then I'll use cork for hills. And what I'll do is I'll cut i out shape my cork for my hills i'll get my empty base and i'll actually put the cork on i'll put the basing elements i'll kind of put some uh uh rock in my head trying to form the base as i go and think about as i'm doing it leaving open spaces specifically for where i think the models will go and some of that is rob is just like shorthand once you do it enough you sort of have a sense of when i'm when i'm making a regiment of cavalry i know kind of just from doing it how much empty space i need because your base when completed should still look empty right it should have a bunch of interesting stuff but you still got to have room to actually put your models on it um so what i'll do is i'll actually physically put everything on the base i don't glue it but i just will physically put everything and then usually i have a couple models that i'll just blue tack their feet unpainted and just put them on the base once i have all the components kind of on the base uh and i've uh blue tack, just a handful of guys that kind of give a sense of it. I'll take a look at the base from the front, from the side, you know, give it a once over. And then I just try to let my mind go and just look at it and not, not have a set opinion on how it has to be. Like if I put everything on there, Rob, and something doesn't look right, sometimes basing, especially again, it goes back to that idea of nature is random and full of variation and variety that if something sometimes will even get moved while I'm getting everything and it will look better. You know, uh, sometimes uh, randomness or little accidents, right? I think you've talked about this before, right? Of like the happy little trees or the-, mm-hmm, the happy accidents.
1: Yeah. Bob Ross. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Come in your inner Bob, your, some in your inner Bob Ross. Right. And I think basing is that it's just allow yourself to be, allow yourself some freedom to change your idea while you're doing it, to go with the flow, follow these different little paths that are kind of coming up and and plan everything out, but don't be a
1: slave to that plan. The best tip I can give people is I bet you on every base I screw something up. Okay, screwed it up. So I'm going to cover it up. <laughs> you know, th- th- this is where the tree's going to go now or this is where the little extra texture or this boulder. I mean, the reality is that's the beautiful thing. You know, you said it best. You know, it is supposed to look random or natural, and there is no wrong answer. The, the only thing that's wrong is if you make it look like a building, right? Well, I should say if that's what you're going for, it's different. But, like, if you're not to make it look like nature, well, then it should look a little scattershot.
2: You bring, up, you bring up a fantastic point is when I'm doing my complex multi-basing or doing multi-basings, I'll come to a spot where some of the rocks aren't dry-brushed really well or I can still see the primer, and I just go, I don't care. Mm-hmm. I, cause I use texture paint. That's where texture paint's going to go or that's where I'm going to put a bush or that's where I'm going to put some flock. So I don't lose myself over those really finite, super small details. And then maybe if there's one rock, I'll spend like a long time painting the face of like a sculpture rock because that's going to be like, goes back to, you know, you and Billy talking about the, the, what is it? Uh, f- faces, bases and shields or whatever mm-hmm. it was. Yeah. Of, faces, like, bases fine... and
1: shields. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Like, um, multi base is the same way try to identify in the multi base where is your focal point and what's going to be your sort of key points but again there's so many ways to fix it and really like uh, uh, if I was to give anyone kind of like core tenets about multibasing is look at space look at angles look at variety of materials uh, think about uh, uh, how shapes work together uh, think about like, the or- organic nature of uh, you know of of the environment around us, and allow yourself. This could be basing is a real place that you can really get out there and play, and really try interesting things.
1: Yeah, a couple of things I want to hit on there. One is use those model railroad articles, magazines, websites, blogs. You know, when I first started, that was a awesome source of all the stuff you said about, you know, composition of space and setting a scene. Because at the end of the day, this is the way I look at it. We are making a picture, right? And there is going to be, when I'm done, there's going to be a specific angle that I am intending for the viewer to see this base at. And if I've made the composition right, they're going to, you know, I'm going to lead them through that picture, just like, like a photograph, just like, you know, anything else like that. And, um, there's tons of, you know, photography websites, there's tons of sources of, Hey, here's how you construct a picture. Here's how you construct a scene. And, uh, it applies, it it applies to that. Um, you know, another thing that's interesting is that, you know, um, you might think, well, we're making military bases, right? We're making an army and they're marching and they should all be orderly. One of the things that I did on the halfling army, which, which I actually like a lot is that I made a conscious armor, uh, a conscious point that I don't have ranks and flanks. Like there is a rank, but like, everybody's face is visible, if that makes sense. So like the front rank, it's almost like a running bond pattern in brick, right? So like the second rank is slightly offset so you can see the detail. The, so it doesn't look so, it gives it a more, for me, it gives it a more dynamic pose than, you know, we're standing here holding our pike, you know, perfectly still. Uh, so, I, I, you know, laying out the models is a huge thing too. And I guess it depends on what type of unit obviously it's much different laying out you know eight knights versus 40 pikemen. um but what i always do is at some point typically when i get at least the base construction of the you know the the base when the when the base is at least started i'm gonna start blue tacking on models to start working on that that come you know i'm working to construct that picture in my head, okay, this is where the leader's going to go. That's going to be the focal point. Or here's the standard. He's waving a big standard on stand on top of a rock. He's going to be the focal point. And you can do that a number of ways. You know, you can do that with composition of how you set the, you know, physically set the models on the base. You can also use colors, right, to to make your eyes, the eye or the viewer, go to that spot. Uh, but I'm, you know, I'm thinking about all that stuff before everything's painted, and like on the halfling star bases or base, I should say. Um, I had it, no, basically I had the hill pretty much together, had all the guys laid out, blue tacked on the hill to the point where I took a reference photo. Right. And I labeled each of the guys. So as I painted them, I knew exactly where they should go back on the base. Um, because at that point I, I had, I was happy with, this is a cool looking image. This is the image that I wanted and I didn't want it to change. um, so to your point though about materials the more materials you mix in the better right that's the spice of life if if all you use is like a ballast or a sand it's going to look like sand but if you can mix in some you know resin rocks or some ballast or some aquarium rock or take your pick but you know the rule of thumb for me is you got to have at least three different textures yeah
2: i think that's a good idea often i think what you see rob uh on, like, beginner beginner people doing bases or whatever where they'll have, like, a bunch of rocks dry-brushed one shade of gray and then maybe one color flock or one bush and then that's it. When in reality, like, uh, uh, grass is not always one color. Sometimes it has mixtures of colors. Uh, text, you know, the earth is a certain color. Rocks... sometimes we've talked about this before right rocks and stone has reds and greens and you know so that's the same thing for me i like to have like uh two or three different types of rocks one or two different types of uh tufts maybe a, a different a texture paint that i've washed and dry brushed you need to have a certain amount of variety uh in the base i think for it to look correct um, you know, you don't want to go too crazy. It's, it's really, it comes down to, I really like your use of composition. Like when I'm looking at a base, my imagination is sort of filling out the rest of the scene. And it's like, I imagine what the whole picture is, whereas my base is, is what
1: I cropped out of the whole picture. You're, you're giving them, you're, you're telling the viewer, this is what I want you to see there's a bigger picture there that they, that's beyond what they what they're not able to see
2: exactly and you're trying just to sort of make it so so that it feels like its own thing but it feels like it's coming out of a bigger world or a bigger story or a a a, a, a bigger narrative and what's so great about basing too is I think that just like painting you get better but I think it's you could take a few basic techniques of basing and I think you can get much better better at basing quicker than how long it takes you to improve in painting so it can be it can be an area of your hobby right that you can really make leaps and bounds in if you just take a little time i mean oftentimes basing in the past is always like the afterthought you know where it's like oh it's the thing i do at the very end whereas if you have really good basing it's going to make your army look so much better than just making it painted it a little nicer I mean, basing really has the power to really greatly increase the visual appeal of, of an army. I think,
1: and 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 I con- that's a conscious decision on my part with the Kingdoms of Half Men is to to do the exactly that to leverage bases to to an extreme that I've never done before, and uh, to the end where, like I said, sometimes I'll actually have bases that I just like the base. I don't know what units going to go on it, <laughs> right? But like, that's you know. You've got this sketch in your head, you've got a layout, you make your list of materials and you just start building it and so it's, it's okay to let it organically go off script, right? Those, those happy accidents. I mean, I'll, I'll give you a classic example. I, I'm building, you know, I, I wanted to have the basing uh, be majestic and give a sense of scale to the units because I've got these little tiny halfmen, right? That are maybe a half an inch tall. And they've got these long pike or these long spear or whatever, swords and boards, whatever. But they've got these little guys. And I wanted to, I don't want to use the word absurd, but it's kind of that, right? I wanted to show the juxtaposition of these little guys standing against this large rocky outcropping, right? And so, you know, I think some of those bases are maybe four or five inches tall. But one of the outcomes that came out of it is I, I build this wall and I'm like, wow, that's really cool. Well, why can't I flip the base around and have a cave on the other side? No reason, right? So on like my big pike unit, you flip it around and there's some some halfmen you know going to town with a shovel, digging out some gold. You never know where you're going to end up, And as long as you just at the end of the day, you and you had a fun process and you are you feel creatively creatively I don't know uh, you feel like you have been fulfilled from a creative perspective the and you're telling the you're you're giving the viewer the image you want to give that's really all you know that's really all that matters it's just to give like a a possible way that this might work you know for my
2: twilight kin army uh i originally was wanting i saw the texture rollers from green stuff world right rob super cool they had one that's like a greek mosaic and I was looking at it, and I was like, well, that would be pretty cool. I love the idea of, like, having some sort of Greek element. So I was like, okay, well, I, I was kind of wanting to do Twilight I was like, well, what does Greek and elves have anything to do with each other? And I was, like, starting to look at elf models, and I was like, well, I like some of these um, AOS, like, medusa e sort of type models. And I was like, oh, well, Medusa's... an Yeah, Medusas and Hydras kind of go with Greek stuff. And then then I was like, okay, well, you know, what would be cool if I maybe did like a Greek Medusa snake themed elf army? And then that took me to like learning how to paint with pigments on how because eventually the Greek mosaic I wanted to do. how, How does weathered marble look like? I wanted the marble to look like it was once painted and all the paint has worn off. So I started to explore all that stuff, and um, fun, funnily enough, before I could get that army done, Mike Grant did an army without having – I didn't talk to him about my idea, so I'm not saying he stole my idea. But, but you're he, saying it. I get but it. he did a, a Medusa-themed <laughs> abyssal army, uh, which is another funny thing about basing. Often, like all the great multi basers, they don't want to tell anyone their ideas because it's like the Cold War of basing, uh, of trying to – By the uh, like way, Pat, Pat
1: Allen's uh, – is it Night Soccer Army with the with – the, uh... Xenomorphs from... Uh...
2: Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so awesome.
1: If you haven't seen it, you got to check our, it out. Or like
2: Scott Holcomb. Look yeah. at his pirate mm-hmm. army. I mean, Scott's probably the best multibaser in the community. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, when, you, when, you, when you really want to look at, at... Rob mentioned before, we've talked about it before, on the show before, but the use of verticality and angles and height and multibasing his stuff is just incredible. But I think it's... The thing is, is a base in an army project can start from something as simple as seeing, oh... That Greek mosaic texture roller is pretty neat. And the next thing you know, you have a full theme of an army. Once you're taking the, the point A to point yeah, B.
1: Yeah, to- I'm going to jump in. I, so one of the first things I did with the halflings was I was going to do some byhanders, So, like, you know, the, the two-handed sword guys. And there's this little general that's from Westphalia. And he's, like, standing there pretty proud. And an image popped in my head, which is he's going to be standing on a rock. Kind of to the back of the base above these elite two-handed executioner guys. And uh, that was kind of the first unit, right? And and uh, at that point, I hadn't fully committed to the big rocky backgrounds yet, but that was the first step, you know, where I took resin casts using Woodland Scenic's pre-made uh, rock molds using resin, and I poured it and, and then used epoxy sculpt to just paste it in. And I made this really cool outcropping, and there's this dude standing on it. And I'm like, oh, that's the image I had in my head. Uh, and then the next base built on, you know, and you just sort of, you know, it snowballs and you just build on what came before. Um, and sometimes things change, right? Uh, sometimes, you know, so, so sometimes you get like what you consider like a one-off base. And sometimes you get bases that interconnect.
2: Right. Are, there's, there's just so many ways you can think about how to make s- uh, space interesting. And that's in the end is like, think about, uh, uh, the visual space and the real estate that you have, and realize that re- real estate is not just on the the horizontal of the base; it's also everything going up from the base vertically. And really, uh, I just keep going back to that idea of uh, um, composition. You're looking at it when you paint a miniature, but also you should be thinking about about. Uh, your multi base is one giant miniature. It, in essence, is what it is, right? We're putting multiple miniatures on it, but it's being viewed as one piece. So I think the the more you can try to to visualize and think of that composition as one piece, the more uh, interesting and elegant your creations will be.
1: Absolutely. And I got one more example that I just thought about was I have a horde of foot guard with sword and shield, and it is two regiments that go together to make uh, the horde. And what's interesting is that it was interesting that I made essentially in my mind, I thought about the horde base and then literally just kind of in my mind, I just cut it, cut it in half. Right. So the base right there worked, but then as I was doing the individual bases and posing the models on both of them, I, I wanted it to work both ways. I wanted it to tell the story, the picture I wanted to give as a horde but I also wanted each individual regiment to be an image onto themselves. And so it it was a little, you know, I, I like those kind of challenges where you know you're trying to make things work in multiple ways. Exactly. Uh, it's like there's different different
2: routes to get to the same end, you know, and that you don't necessarily always have to follow the same route. You can go different ways, try different things. Um, and then you know, there's so many great uh, basing materials, Old models. I mean, you can use so many different uh, stuff. You know, like talk about raiding the bits
1: box. There's a ton of stuff that's not quote unquote basic materials, right? That's from our hobby that you can use.
2: Yeah, so I got to think about like moving forward when I'm when I'm looking at what projects I want to do. Is I'm not multi base multi base wise. I still may do a sort of uh, Greek esque uh, Twilight Kin army um i also saw someone had i think i think billy was doing it like the idea of having like desert elves Mm -hmm. of elves set in like a desert environment which to me that was like whoa that's really cool i had a really interesting idea i wanted to do a um night stalker army that was like an elizabethan carnival and where it was like like kind of inspired by Stephen King's it, but it would basically be like all of these at first look, it looked like a big carnival, but the closer you got, you'd realize there'd be like little kids about to be eaten. Oh my you know, gosh. kind of like I don't know if you've ever played World of Warcraft. There was something called the Dark Moon Fair. So like I imagine like a Shakespearean Renaissance festival that at first look looked normal, but the closer you got off to all the bases, you realize that this was, was Night Stalkers and how they decided to eat this village was to appear to them as if they were a carnival. And then once they got everyone over there, they ate all their souls.
1: You know, another thing I wanted to mention is it, it, it's all, also okay to get to a point in the the project where you're just not feeling it. I've got several bases that, that I that I started for my halfman where The concept didn't ever really materialize in my head. And so what I ended up doing is I just cast that base aside uh, and started over. And in some cases, I was able to go back and revisit bases later. Like, okay, well, I have this base and I want to do a unit of crossbowman. You know, sometimes what I'm saying is you may not start completely with the models and a concept. You may have something like a half-finished base that you can start with, and that's okay, too. There's no right answer here, right? The only, well, the only right answer is that at the end of the day, you are telling the, you are presenting the image that you want for that unit.
2: Yeah, no, I think that's true, right? Is that you just try to uh, experiment, uh, refine your technique, Think about space, think about angles, think about colors, think about visual interest. Um, Look at often, like I'll look at if I'm doing a, a base that has wood on it, I'll use this as my opportunity to learn about how you paint wood. And then I'll go and watch a bunch of videos on how different people paint wood or how different people paint stone or marble or weathered stone or, you know, there's all sorts of different ways you can do it. Top tip, weathered woods, not brown. And most of the ways to get the colors, and this is like a, a digression, I guess, but often to get the color that you want, you don't use the colors that you think you should. Mm-hmm. Like blonde hair is not, you don't use yellow when you paint blonde right. hair to make it look like blonde hair. Usually you're pa- painting like, uh, you know, off white or uh, different types of uh ivories and kind of colors like that you don't usually use yellow so it's the same thing with wood is often things in
1: nature have different colors than what you think they would just on the surface so what we'll do is we'll take a quick commercial break we'll come back on the other side and we will kind of wrap up the show i'm elliot morish the accessible first of the northern kings and new rc member and you're listening to Countercharge. So welcome back to Countercharge, and we're going to wrap up the show. And one thing that I have been thinking about lately, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I thought, well, am I have I been leaving reviews for folks? And I had a really fun experience where I was listening to a retro, like a video and pinball arcade machine podcast, and I left them an iTunes review. When I do that, I typically try to put some thought into it. I, I don't just... It's like anything in life. It's If it's worth doing, it's worth doing right, right? So I put in some real thought. Uh, I thought I was witty. And uh, I think the people that I was talking about thought I was witty too because they read it. And it just got me back to thinking, man, it, you know, for those of us that are out there that are listening to podcasts, we always think about like leaving reviews so that you can help the podcast find an audience, right? Oh, we gave a five-hour review. But when they read my review on their podcast, that really resonated with me was... I had an impact on them. So like we're in this COVID situation and they were just tickled that I, I, I took the time to write this review and it was witty and it was some, you know, they're, they're from Kentucky and I, and I made reference to their, you know, deep Kentucky tone. It's just a reminder to folks, hey, if you're out there listening to podcasts, uh, it is absolutely great to give people reviews. It does help podcasts like ours find an audience. Um, but it also, you can brighten someone's day by giving someone a review. And,
2: uh, you know, don't be afraid to, um, get out there and support your content producers and, you know, make posts, uh, and tell Kyle and Jesse that, that they need to find the cure to COVID so that they can get doing mastercraft videos again.
1: Not just podcasts, right? So it's the YouTube channels, it's all the content you know, the blogs, it's, it's, it's the, the Facebook pages. It's the, it's everybody that's in our community. That's, um. You know, creating content, you know, it's the Dash twenty eight. It's it's you know, the folks that are making content that we all enjoy and use. And when you're leaving reviews and comments, it's not just about helping others find that that thing that you've already found. you know, it's not just about evangelizing and sharing the love. Sometimes it's just nice to just tell somebody, Hey man, I really like your podcast or hey man, I really like this video. You just it's hard work and when you do a hard work you Uh, You know, you want
2: to know that what you're doing, people enjoy, you know, and that you're adding something to the community. And sometimes it's nice to be to, to hear someone say, "Hey, we re- I really liked what you did in this episode." So just share the love with the pe- you know the people out there who are making the stuff because the majority of you know there some people do it for a living, but the majority of us who make content to support these games, we do it because we just
1: like doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, just say, "Hey, thanks." One podcast I did want to mention: there's a podcast called Hobby Knockout, which uh, Mr. Hall up in Michigan. Put me on to, It's a great podcast. Um, they just typically chat about a game or a topic that could be about uh, conversions, for example, every week. And it's not too long. It's well thought out. It's not jaded, right? It's it's. I think they 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 come at it from with the right with the right intention. Uh, that being said, you know if they don't like something, they'll tell you. But I think they're open minded. So uh, if you're looking for another hobby podcast that's not Kings of War related, um, it's kind of game agnostic really they cover everything from historicals to aos to, to well to, to everything uh check it out it's called hobby knockout jeremy uh, you got any podcast uh, recommendations i've been listening to it's a hard six podcast right yeah hard six yeah. another one well, welcome to the community i don't know what number they're on yeah i had the chance to play one
2: of the hosts at uh, uh during a bug eater gt so I've been listening to them very – I like that they're a very kind of just um, – they just talk about what they're up to, what they like, you know, very kind of – it has that conversational nature a la an unplugged radio. You know, Countercharge. we tend to be more like uh, uh, topic – show topic driven or interview driven or content driven and we don't do as many episodes like the one tonight with me and Rob where we just sort of talk about what's going on in our hobby groups. So I like listening to those sometimes when I just want to hear what people are painting, what they're what they're playing, what their thoughts are. So I've been working through the back catalog of uh, that podcast. So definitely check out them if you hadn't add that if you're a Kings of War podcast listener uh, and you're and you are listening to to us and unplugged and
1: uh, are looking for something else to add. And if you're a longtime Warhammer player, you may remember Mr. Sean Gill, who was one of the hosts of uh, Hard Six, used to have a podcast called Two Gamer Radio, which I absolutely loved and adored. It was kind of um, uh, Warhammer from the middle tables, which I, I you know, I have an affinity for.
2: Yeah, because that's the thing is that you don't have to be an, an amazing player, amazing painter or whatever to get a lot out of the hobby. There's, there's spaces and room for everyone at any part of the spectrum.
1: Well, perfect. You got anything else you want to? touch on or are we ready to close this out
2: no just uh make sure you check out if you're interested uh emerald dragon riddle of steel check out those uh digital events i'm hoping rob to still make it in september crossing my fingers living legends yeah living legends yeah living legends in september and then depending on what the the landscape is in november in san antonio uh uh, alamo i think is still up in the air on what's going to happen with that as far as events for uh the rest of the year um yeah and just gonna slowly start doing some games you know start playing in person with masks and um i'm i'm again choosing to stay positive until i have to pivot so i'm hoping you know once we get some events this fall and then hopefully by next spring we'll uh be having uh, a bunch of stuff, including, um, you know, I think we maybe I don't know if you want to we won't we, maybe not go into the details, but uh, countercharge. We may have some interesting uh, event news for next year.
1: I think that's all we're gonna say. We're we're we're, we're thinking about things. Yeah,
2: that's all we're We've gonna got. Say. Some
1: ideas. Uh-huh.
2: Things we're we're thinking about things and stuff,
1: as they say. That's gonna do us tonight. And until next time, keep countercharging.
0: Thanks for listening. Keep counter charging. Music is a composition of Kevin MacLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.